Hello, I'm Lainey Malkani and welcome to the Social History Hub podcast. Every week I'll be exploring the nature of social history and what it means to us today with an exciting lineup of artists, entrepreneurs, academics and writers. They'll share their stories and relive the moments and events that inspired them. Coming up, the highly talented spoken word artist, Mr G. I grew up in London. The biggest event in my life was the 9-11 and the London bombings. And so I found myself viewing events through a critical artistic eye and then trying to make sense of them. And that's just a taster of what's to come from Mr G. So what's his story? Well, his career spans over 15 years. In that time, he's written and performed for the BBC, the stage and at some of the most groundbreaking artist venues in London. He began by telling me what role a spoken word artist has to play in documenting social history. A spoken word artist, if you look at the um, art form of poetry, most people, um, they would, their introduction to poetry would be via you know, books and reading. But before there was the, the printing presses and the, um, the books and the media outlet, um, people spoke poetry. It was, a, it was actually an, a, an Olympic event in ancient Greece, the, the, the recital of poetry. So I like to say that I hail from a time, you know, before then, you know, as soon as man has been able to express himself, he's done it in some form of poetry or art history. What inspires you? I feel that poets generally write about that which they don't know. So everything I don't know inspires me. So you're trying to make sense of life, you're trying to make sense of love, you're trying to make sense of the the weather, you're trying to make sense of, I don't know, making a cup of tea. So it can be anything as immense and weighty, the subject can be as weighty as you want it to be, or it can be as trivial as you want it to be. It's You're, you're trying to make, make sense of the world around you, and you do it through art, and hopefully the art that you produce then answer some of the questions but as with all questions more questions occur now essentially we're talking about social history here so what do you think are the key elements what aspect of social history has interested you and influenced your work history for me is if you want to find out when something occurred you know you look into the history books you find out you know the date of the second world war the date of um the world trade towers falling down the date of the London Olympics, you can find those things out. If you want to find out how people felt at that time, you have to look at the art that people produced. And so you can look at, if you want to find out what the 40s were like, look at the films that came out in the 40s, the music that came out in the 40s, the the sculpture, everything. And so all these form a part of social history. And that's why when the, you know, we live in a, a modern media age where, you know, we will if we're going back maybe 50 years, we will look at TV and radio. But if we want to go back thousands of years, then we're going to have to look back at the carvings that people created and the, the writings that they created and you know, the painting on the caveman walls. So we're, we're always trying to sort of get a sense of how people saw life and viewed life through different ages and time. And social history adds to the fabric of that beyond just the story of who won this war and who conquered here or who sailed here you know those things can they they can sometimes reduce the immense richness of history to just a date and so for you personally what's been the biggest influence i grew up in london and the biggest event i suppose in my 
life as a writer was the 9-11 and the bombings, the London bombings. So I was an artist when these things happened. And so I found myself viewing events through a critical artistic eye and then just trying to make sense of them. That spurred me on to write. So I was of that ilk, I call us the, the new millennium poets um, in London that was just writing about the Iraq war and Afghanistan and terrorism and stop and search and all these things that were occurring. And the the fear that was going on in London at that time, and I guess, you know, throughout the UK, something's happening and we don't know what's happening and why are we doing these things and why are these things happening to us? And um, a friend of mine, you know, got caught up in one of the bombings in 2005. And so it's that whole... It's a it's a huge range of emotions where you know you're feeling, you know, pain, loss, regret, anger, hope for the future. All these types of things are, are emerging, and what I found kind of annoying is that when you looked on the, the when you looked on the TV, you're just you know you're still seeing the the same episodes of Friends, and you listen to the music, and it's just the same let's party in the nightclub type music. And I'm thinking this isn't reflecting how I'm feeling. Right, and so that really threw me into the whole poetry scene because when I, it's only through the poetry that was being performed in little tiny street corners and little tiny pubs and little tiny bars where people were expressing this paranoia, fear, and hope of what was occurring at the time that was just beyond just being entertaining. So, when you created the the spoken word poetry to um, to express yourself and the um, the feelings and sentiments of other people around you in a social history context, did you feel a sense of responsibility as you were creating this dialogue? I've realised a long time ago that you might write a poem and in your mind it seems to be quite balanced and you know fair, but someone listening to it might think, oh, wow, that's quite a biased opinion. I started off having a very London-centric view, so I used to write everything that was about London, just, you know, so naming street names and talking about the tube and the buses and all these types of things. And obviously you realise once you step outside of London and you go into, like, other towns and little, you know, villages and stuff like that, that they have a different mindset. And so the only responsibility I felt was to try and broaden the idea of the message and not limit it by the references that I were using that might be outside of their scope of understanding. Because in years to come, when people are kind of looking back at your Wikipedia profile and see all the things that you've written, language will make a difference, style and presumably rhythm as well. I guess in terms of spoken word poetry, it goes hand, because it's a live performed art form, it goes hand in hand with the music of the time. And so what you tend to find is is that whenever there's a wave of music that comes on board, then there are a poets that have been influenced by that music and they then incorporate the style of that music within their poetry so if you look at like say the 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 jazz and the bebop era that brought forth Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac who were the poets of that time if you look at I guess punk you know when it hit the UK shores that brought forth John Cooper Clark and John Hegley if you look at dub reggae then that brought Gene Binterbreeze and Benjamin Zephaniah so I'm influenced by hip-hop by reggae and by grime and UK garage so that style of music then influenced the style of poetry with which I would you know bring forth and do you think that the stories of ordinary people um, and and their achievements, whether it's social or political, is is an important narrative in the development of society as a whole, or is that too much? 
The stories of ordinary people are paramount to our understanding of life because realistically that you know hearing about what so and so did in Hollywood or hearing about what king whatever did in whatever palace you know these things are interesting just from I suppose a, an almost um voyeuristic point of view but just to understand how things affected people's lives like say how the the introduction of railways how that affected people's lives how the introduction of you know getting rid of polio how that affected people's lives people being able to read and write the increase of literacy rates how that affects people's lives these things have got very very um huge effects on society and things change or even within our own lifetime just look at uh, how the mobile phone has affected our life you know 20 30 years ago it was a unheard of device that we would never ever think of carrying and now in the 21st century and beyond if you leave it at home then your your whole world falls apart and so it's interesting to hear how people ordinary people react to these huge events you can you can read about the event but then you got to see how does it affect people um i was uh, i saw a, a documentary about council houses and how the the living space that was allocated to a family grew as people started to have washing machines and have dishwashers and so and and um have an inside toilet and so that affects people's lives do you know what I'm saying right because people's aspirations have, have changed over the you know the last century or people's aspirations have changed they're always changing and that which we would want to have in our homes then becomes written into law now so the social history and the understanding of how ordinary people see the world is always going to be interesting because it's going to be outside of the big huge events which you know if we if we can be honest a lot of the events in history which we read about are just powerful men trying to clamor for more power right but in terms of how people lived and how people loved and how people grieved and how people mourned and how people expressed all the wonderful emotions that life bestows upon us you're not going to just get that from just a a book about what you know some sultan did in some palace you know x hundred years ago and do you think it's important to tell those stories those stories are extremely important because they give a, a voice to the the voiceless you know and they give you another perception on how you would see the world case for example i mean i went to egypt to go and visit the the pyramids and the sphinx and the obviously these are very impressive um constructions but then there's a part of me that just thinks wow you know some some poor guy had to build that some guy had to carry the water some guy had to carry the logs some guy had to carry the stones where where are their stories what what happened to them where are they you know and then they show you where some of the people were buried and you just think that did they enjoy building the pyramids they might have hated it right they might have thought that you know you know they wanted the might want the pharaoh to catch a heart attack that day and so as much as we can just marvel at these huge massive edifices that seem to be defying time there are there are some people that might have just looked at it just where you know thousands of people died building these things and very few of their stories are ever ever told you know i just wonder whether you're aware of because it's ordinary people creating um, amazing things that become part of social history so are you aware in writing when you're writing that you're doing the very same thing? I'm aware of 
the changes in my own perception as I write. How my writing will be viewed in a hundred years time, a thousand years time, I don't really know. But I'm aware that like how I see the world as I go through you know, my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, um, I realize that, wow, that you do see the world differently at different ages and how um, some of the things that I might have written about, like say when I was a teenager, has just got no relevance to me whatsoever now. But that doesn't negate its relevance at its time. And so it's actually quite good to be able to look back at how you thought in different stages of your life because that's almost like you're providing your own social history on yourself within your own lifetime. And so if you take that and extrapolate that and take it to a, a larger degree, then you are able to you know, gain an understanding of how people face life's adversities in different parts of history. And I've got this general belief that, um, that you know, we're all the same you know, once you strip away all the layers and strip away all the, the the pomp and the pageantry that we always love to surround ourselves with in terms of our culture, we are all the same. We just express emotions through different means. And so that's why when you like look at, let's say, the, the writings of a 13th century Persian poet, you're going to... You're going to see themes that resonate with you, but then you'll hear references that don't resonate with you. But once you see those themes, you're like, oh, wow, he was going through or she was going through that thing that I'm going through at this particular moment in time. And I think that that, that, that dialogue of emotions connects us as people and it can be very, very strong because it, it, it breaks down some of the artificial barriers that we place amongst ourselves. And, you know, realistically... You know, around the world, it's got different, you know, climates, it's got different foods, different religions, different languages. So people are going to express themselves differently. But in terms of the actual emotions that they're expressing, those are generally the same. Oh, fantastic. Mr. G, thank you ever so much for sharing your thoughts. Um, it was an absolute pleasure. And I, I can't miss this opportunity and actually ask you whether you would actually perform a little bit of your spoken word for us. Okay, yeah. This is a poem that is about two red-breast robins that were singing outside my window one morning. It's called To the Birds. Two red-breast robins awoke early one morning, father and son sharing a moment of calling, in the magical hours between dewdrops and dawn when all is calm with the world. Said son to father, Dad, why do we sing? and puff up our chests and limber up our wings when it seems to me to be a bird is but a lowly thing when man is in charge of this world. He builds a nest so high that it can make love to the sky. He wears feathers in all shapes and all colours and sizes. His wings are invisible but yet he can fly so high so why should we sing in this world? Said father to son, Yeah, man indeed is strong. He has the pride of a peacock and the grace of a swan. He even goes a little cuckoo when the weather goes wrong for he believes that he's in charge of this world. He puts a feather in his cap as he tries to rule the roost, but whenever he gets scared, he feels the bump of a goose. Because we used to be dinosaurs, and that's the truth. And that's why we must sing in this world.
That was the spoken word artist, Mr G. Now, next week on the Social History Hub podcast, I'll be talking to Michelle Shine, author of Mesmerised, an historical fiction set in 19th century Paris. Has Michelle captured an untold story of two rebel forces of the time, homeopathy and impressionist art? Join me if you can. And of course, if you have a story to tell, why not drop me an email? Laney at socialhistoryhub.com. The Social History Hub podcast was brought to you by creativepodcast.com.